this morning we're going to be in the book of Micah chapter number 6 and looking at the thought of what does God require of me. You know, as we embark upon this new year, in many ways we are hopeful, uh, but it, at the same time our hearts are filled uh, with uh, ha- apprehension and hesitation. Uh, uh, it's not that we're ungrateful for what God did for us uh, in 2020. We know that God blessed us in many, many ways, and our apprehension and our hesitation does not at all come from a spirit of ungratefulness. However, this past year did hold some surprises uh, uh, that we did not anticipate. And in many ways, this past year has left us unsure about how we can, how we should, uh, how can we possibly move forward in this new year. Many times when we come to the new year, uh, uh, we have a lot of plans. We have a lot of ideas. We've got dates marked of things we're going to do. But as we've entered into this year, although we are excited about what God may do, I believe that many people also uh, have an apprehension of really what can I do. The unknown often leaves us in a state of feeling like we don't know uh, how to respond. A few days ago, I was uh, pondering over some of these uh, thoughts. Maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about the church, the the online services, thinking about resuming in-person services, uh, how and what that would look like, what restrictions we'd have to put in place. Uh, I've been looking at our calendar for 2021, wondering what events we could schedule, what events we would uh, make maybe even have to postpone for yet another year and and sitting and thinking through all these things that uh, have to do with the church and uh, how we're going to move forward in 2021. A lot of times at the beginning of the year, uh, we will have a a theme and we'll 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 give out calendars and we'll say, this is what we're going to do this year. But as I sat and thought about it, I'm like, what will we be able to do? And I have to be honest with you, having these type of thoughts uh, uh, can leave me as a pastor, just being transparent, can leave me feeling bewildered, confused, uncertain of exactly how we're supposed to press forward when it seems that there is so many things that are unknown in the future. As I was sitting there a couple weeks ago, uh, these were the predominant emotions that were in my mind. I'm like, how, how do we do this? How do we put a calendar together? How do we, how do we have a, a vision Sunday? How do we do these things when there is so much unknown? What is it uh, that I need to do? What is it that I'm supposed to do? How are we supposed to maintain and move forward? And I begin to roll these things around in my mind. And it was during that moment that another pastor shared a thought with me. And that thought has been a source of stability for me over the last couple of weeks uh, as I've thought about 2021 uh, and how we're going to move forward. The other pastor shared this with me. He said, Pastor, do the ordinary things. Preach the Word. Teach sound doctrine. Visit the sick. Equip others for ministry. Proclaim the gospel. And love your people. Then he said this, God uses ordinary means to produce extraordinary results. 
Now me, I was sitting and trying to think, what can I do? How can I plan? Uh, how can I get things in place? Uh, how can we resume services? How can we... And I'm thinking of all these things that I feel is necessary uh, in order to move forward for God. And I'm just like, how can we do it? How can we go? How can we get started? And this pastor reminded me there's some ordinary things uh, that regardless of the circumstances, uh, regardless of the situation, uh, regardless of what we're going through, there are some ordinary things uh, that we can do... Uh, that will make a difference. There's some ordinary things that we can do regardless of what is going on that God can use to further the work of Christ. I'll read them to you again. As for a pastor, here's some ordinary things that I can do. I can preach the Word. Although you're not here with us this morning, you're watching online, and we can still proclaim the Word of God. I can continue to teach sound doctrine, and you as church members can continue to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. I can continue to visit or at least connect with the sick. Maybe not able to go to the hospital or go to their home, but I can reach out to them by telephone. and I can call them. I can talk with them. I can send cards to them and, and care for those that aren't doing well. I can equip others for ministry. We can uh, teach others uh, about the ministry. We can give opportunity to speak to others. Uh, we can proclaim the gospel everywhere we go uh, and we can love our people. I looked at this and I said, here are some ordinary things that whether we're meeting in person or not, we can do these things. Here's some ordinary things that whether we're able to have our events this year, that we can still do these things and God can use these ordinary things to produce some extraordinary Results. As I began to think about this, my mind then began to go down a path that the Lord used to reveal to me the message that He wanted me to bring to you this morning. And the purpose of that message would be to answer what I believe is probably the biggest question on the minds of many people as we head into this new year. And I believe that question is this. It could be phrased many ways, but it's something like this. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond? Or as we've titled the message, what does God require of me? In light of the circumstances, in light of the situation, in light of the unknown, in light of the uncertainty, in light of the nothing being the same as it used to be, what does God require of me? In Micah chapter number 6, we find a passage of Scripture where God answers this exact question. And I believe this morning, the Lord being our helper, that this message can give all of us confidence as to how we are to progress as Christians uh, in these uncertain times. So look with me, if you would, in the book of Micah, chapter number 6, uh, and we're going to read starting in verse number 6 down through verse number 8. The Bible says uh, in verse number 6 of Micah, chapter number 6, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Then in verse number 8, the prophet answers, He hath showed the old man what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly 
with thy God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity. We thank you, dear Lord, for the privilege that we have to be able to stand and proclaim your word. And Lord, even now as we are proclaiming your word, oh Lord, it is going out all across our county, all across our state, and even across the nation. And Father, people are able to listen to the word of God being preached. And Father, I thank you that you give us the ability, you give us the the the, the knowledge, you give us the 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 technology, Father, that we can continue to proclaim your word. Now, Lord, as we look at this thought this morning of what doth God require of me, I pray, dear Lord, that it will help answer the question in our hearts and minds as we move forward. What is it that I'm supposed to do? How can I live a life that is pleasing to God and impact the lost of this world? What is it that God requires of me? Father, I pray as we look at your word that, Father, we will answer that question and, Lord, we'll be able to leave the the service, uh, knowing, uh, uh, Father, how we can confidently serve you in spite of our circumstances. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the consistency of your word. Thank you, Lord, that the answers uh, to the questions of our life can be found in your word. Bless now as we preach, and Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Now as we look at this passage of Scripture, the context of this passage is the prophet Micah is instructing the people of Israel concerning what God desired of them in relation to maintaining a right relationship with Him. In verses 6 and 7, Micah referred to the lavish personal sacrifices that represent man's tendency to try and impress God. You see, Israel had sinned against God. God God had said to Israel, you have sinned, and Israel needed to restore their relationship with God. And man has a tendency to try and impress God. It is something, as we see in verse number 7, that man is incapable of doing. In verse number 6, Micah said, he said, would you have us to offer a one-year-old calf? But then in verse number 7, he said, would you have us offer thousands of rams? Would you have us offer thousands of oil? Would you have us give you lavish uh, sacrifices? And then he goes on and said, Would you have us uh, offer to you our firstborn child? Uh, Would you have us uh, to give you these great and impressive sacrifices? These verses show us that it is impossible for man to impress God. We do not have the capability. We do not have the wealth. We do not have anything that we can impress God with. And so Micah is telling the people, he's saying, You're not going to be able uh, to uh, satisfy God with these offerings and these sacrifices. We see then that the question arises, if I can't satisfy God with sacrifice, if I can't please God with extraordinary gifts of riches, if I can't appease God with sacrifices of personal pain and agony, then what does God require of me. What is it that God desires that I do? What is it that I can do that is pleasing to Him? Micah then presents three things that we as Christians can do. Three things that God requires. Three things that I believe will keep us in a right relationship with God and man regardless of the circumstances surrounding 
our lives. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see these three things. And I'm going to look at them briefly this morning, and hopefully these three things will give you a simple list of how you can confidently serve God, just as the list the other pastor gave to me has helped me to say, hey, I'm just going to be faithful doing the ordinary things. And you can look at this list and say, in this new year, I'm going to be faithful doing the ordinary things. The first thing that we see in verse number that Micah says that we need to do, he said, is to do justly. He said there in verse number 8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly. What does it mean to do justly? What does that mean whenever the Bible says that we are to do justly? Living justly is living a life that is governed by the principles of truth and fairness. Uh, Living justly is having a clear definition of right and wrong and endeavoring in every circumstance to respond according to these principles. You know, there are a lot of folks who have a clear understanding of right and wrong. They know that this is the right way to respond. They know that this is the wrong way to respond. And yet, whenever they are put in a circumstance, they will ignore what they know know to be right and to be wrong in order to pursue what they want to do themselves. Living justly means that I have a clear picture of right and wrong and I live according to it. I monitor my actions according to what is right and wrong. I live my life in regard to what I know is right and wrong. In Proverbs 11 and verse number 1, we see that the Bible begins to describe to us uh, this thing of living justly. It says in Proverbs 11, 1, a false balance uh, is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight... uh, is his delight. You see, uh, there was a common practice uh, that happened then that happens now. Uh, A common practice was uh, that those merchants uh, would many times uh, have false weight. They would have a weight uh, that they used on their scale and on the weight uh, it may would have said one pound or two pound or five pound, whatever it may be and they would set that on one side of the scale and then they would set your flour or your wheat or your oil, whatever it was you were buying on the other side side of the scale and whenever it leveled out they would say here is your five pound of flour but the problem was the weight that they set up that had written five pound on it really only weighed four pound or three pound. It was a false weight and by using the false weight they were able to get gain. They were able to to get more money for their product. It was unjust. It was crooked. It was dishonest and it was unfair and the Bible says in Proverbs 11 and verse number 1 a false balance is abomination to the Lord. And of course this gives us a principle that applies across their entire life. We are to be people who live justly. We are to be people who live honestly because dishonesty, unfairness, treating people without truthfulness is an abomination to God. What is something that I need to do to please God? I need to do justly. In Leviticus 19, verse 35 and 36, we see the Lord dealing with this. He says, Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meat yard, in weight, or in measure. 
just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hen shall ye have. I am the Lord your God. He wants us to be people who live with a spirit of honesty, fairness, and truthfulness. If you drop down a couple of verses there in Micah chapter number 6 where you're at in your Bibles, if you drop down to verse 10 and 11, you'll see that this is exactly what God is talking about here. In Micah chapter number 6, verse number 10, he said, Are there yet treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? And the scant measure, that's one of those false weights, that is abominable. He said, Shall I count them pure? with wicked balances and with a bag of deceitful weights. We see here in these passages of scriptures that to deal honestly, to do, do, to do justly, is to deal honestly. To do justly is to never seek advancement or increase through fraud or trickery. To do justly is, as the Bible says in Romans 12, 17, to provide things honest in the sight of all men. As Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, instead of seeking unjust gain by treating others unfairly, when we live justly, it means that we are willing to go the extra mile in our dealings with one another. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 40, Jesus says, And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. You drop down to verse number 44, it says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just. And on the unjust, what is it to, to do justly? That is to go the extra mile to ensure that our fellow man is never taken advantage of by us. It is to go the extra mile in making sure that they receive fair and honest treatment that is above board from us. What is it that God requires of his people? He requires that they do justly. We ask the question, how can I stay right with God? When it seems that all the normal ways of serving Him are unavailable to me right now, I believe the first answer is this, I can do justly. I can live a life that is governed by the principles of truth and fairness with a clear distinction between right and wrong. I can treat my fellow man with more honor than he deserves so that God can be glorified. I believe that I can do justly. In addition to living a life of honesty and fairness toward others, Micah then gives a second behavior that again deals with our interaction with others that God desires of His people. And that is also found there in verse number 8. And we see that the second instruction is to love mercy, to love mercy. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy. 
What is it to love mercy? It's that mild, benevolent, tender spirit that causes a person to overlook uh, personal injuries uh, and treat offenders better than they deserve. Uh, That uh, is mercy. Uh, Mercy uh, distributes uh, kindness uh, and forgiveness where it isn't deserved. Uh, Mercy desires better uh, for the offender uh, than for themselves. Uh, Mercy uh, says, I want uh, to forgive more than I want to judge. Uh, There is no greater example of mercy than that which was displayed by our Savior uh, when he laid down his life uh, for our sins. Uh, And in Luke 6, verse number 36, the Lord tells us, Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. There is no clearer picture of mercy uh, than whenever the Savior, uh, the Creator of the world, uh, the God of all the earth, uh, became a man uh, and suffered uh, and died in our place uh, so that he could give forgiveness to someone that didn't deserve it. And then he said, what do I want from you? I want you to be merciful in the same way that I was merciful. In verse 37 down through verse number 38, he gives us an idea of what this mercy should look like. In verse 36 of Luke 6, he says, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Then in verse number 37, he says, Judge not, that you be not judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Many people look at verse number 37. They use that verse to say, Oh, it's wrong to pass judgment. That's not what this verse is telling us at all. Verse number 37 is following verse number 36 where Jesus says, I want you to be merciful in the same day that I was merciful. How do we show that mercy? I believe that mercy overlooks the faults and failures of other people. Mercy doesn't judge even though judgment may be needed. Mercy does not condemn although condemnation is obvious. Mercy forgives when forgiveness is not deserved. Mercy gives when it will not expecting anything in return. Mercy overlooks the faults and failures. Mercy forgives. Mercy pardons. Mercy restores. Mercy provides. Mercy demonstrates the character of God. What is it that we can do as Christians as we move forward in these uncertain days? We can demonstrate mercy. Ephesians 4 and verse number 32 makes this perfectly clear. Ephesians 4.32 says this, And be ye kind one to another. Tenderheart. I know this isn't talking about just being kind to your best buddy because of the next phrase. Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. 
Pastor, what are some simple things that I can do when, when all the normal church activity seems to be on hold? What are some things that I can do that is pleasing to God? What are some things that I can do that will make a difference to those around me? Uh, well, first of all, you can do justly. Uh, and second of all, uh, you can love mercy. Uh, you can be someone who displays the character of God through your mercy. But before we move to the third and last point, uh, I want to draw your attention to to something about this phrase that just stands out to me. Whenever we look at verse number 8, we see that mercy is not something that we're supposed to do out of duty. But instead, mercy is to be something that we love. It's not something that we do because we have to. Mercy is not something that we forgive, but it causes bitterness in our heart. Mercy is not something that we overlook a fault and a failure, but a person inwardly we have odd in our heart towards that person. No, mercy is not something that's to be done out of duty. Mercy is to be something that is done out of love. Showing mercy ought to thrill us. You know, the most thrilling day in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ was when he was able to offer mercy to mankind and whenever someone does us wrong and we are able to show them mercy, it ought to thrill us. It ought to be something that we love. It ought to be something that we want to exhibit. It ought to be something that we want to demonstrate. It ought to define our character that we are people of mercy just as our Savior was a man of mercy. It ought to give us personal satisfaction to know that we have extended mercy to an undeserving person in the same way that Christ extended mercy when I was undeserving of his love. We ask the question, how can I serve God? How can I influence men for the cause of Christ as I enter this new year? I believe we can do justly. I believe we can love mercy. But before Micah closes the statement, he adds one more thing that we can do to ensure a right relationship with God. And that is to walk humbly with thy God. He said in verse number 8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. In James 4, 6, the Bible says this, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. In verse number 10 of James 4, the Bible says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. In 1 Peter 5 and verse number 5, the Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. In Proverbs 29 and verse number 23, the Bible says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. You know the number one thing that will keep you from being able to do justly and to love mercy is if you are a person that is full of pride. What is it that I can do that will please God? I can walk with God with an humble spirit. 
To walk humbly with God is describing a person that has a heart attitude towards God that recognizes His greatness in comparison to our insignificance. It is a spirit that results from comprehending our unworthiness in light of His magnificence. It is realizing who God is and how great He is and how small and how unworthy I am and realizing that this great and almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God has chosen to bestow His love upon me. It is recognizing that I am unworthy of His love. It is recognizing that I am incapable of earning His love. It is recognizing that despite all my insignificance, He has decided to show and shower His blessings upon me, and it causes me to serve Him in a spirit of humility. Having an humble heart is the realization that we must depend on Him rather than our own abilities. Being uh, Walking with God with an humble heart means that we don't take pride in what we have that we can offer God. But instead we are humble that He would choose to use someone like me. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. What is it that I can do in this day and age that is pleasing to God? What are some things that I can do that will, that will demonstrate the love of God to a lost and dying world Regardless of the circumstances, I believe there are three things that we see here in Micah 6, 8. We can do justly, we can love mercy, and we can walk humbly with our God. I believe the sum of these three things equal a righteous life. The sum of these three things is the definition of living a righteous life. This morning as we enter this new year, we have some doubts and we have some uncertainty, we have some hesitation. Just remember that regardless of what this year brings our way, whether it brings more trouble or whether it brings enormous blessing, remember that there are some things that we can do that will cause us to live a life that is pleasing to God and that will affect our fellow man. We can live a life that is marked by justice, mercy, and humility. We ask the question, what am I supposed to do? We ask the question, how am I to respond to everything that's going on around me? We ask the question, what does God require of me? And the answer is simply this, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, dear Lord, for the truth of your word. I thank you, dear Lord, for the simplicity of the instructions that you give to us. Lord, I think of many other religions and all the requirements that are placed upon those that, that follow those religions. And yet, Lord, you tell us, you say, here it is. 
Three simple things that you can do anywhere, anytime, regardless of the circumstances. And if you do these things, you'll be pleasing to me and make a difference in your fellow man. I pray, dear Lord, that you will help us as we go throughout this year. Lord, whether we encounter trouble, uh, uh, whether we encounter trial, uh, uh, whether we encounter blessing, uh, uh, Lord, whatever we encounter, uh, that, Father, we will not allow our circumstances uh, to stop us from being people who do justly, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with you. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word. I pray, dear Lord, that this message will be a blessing. I pray it will be a challenge. I pray it will be an encouragement. As, Father, we enter this new year, we will purpose to be people that live for you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Bless us now throughout this day. And, Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.